Hi, welcome to Seeing God. Today we speak with Yasmin Pierce. Yasmin is a missionary with Circuit Riders, which is a branch of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Yasmin and I went to college together, and I met her through InterVarsity, which many of you probably know as an interdenominational campus ministry, through which students can participate in Bible studies, worship services, service opportunities, and various other programs. Yasmin's passion for God was impossible to miss. Now she works with college students and tells us about what God is doing in colleges across America. She also shares some very personal experiences with God, getting to know him, figuring out how to respond to him when her father passed away, and how God challenges her black and white view of the world. This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Let's get started. We are going to start at the beginning of your relationship with God. And I don't think, and I've known you for a while, and I don't think I actually even know this. So I'm really interested to hear how you were introduced to God and how you got to know him. Yeah. So for me, I grew up in, you know, going to church with my family, had a, you know, grew up in a Christian family, but maybe not a family that was intentionally seeking and following the Lord. My dad had grown up Baptist. My mom had grown up Lutheran. So for several years, we kind of went to both churches. And I remember just kind of throughout being a kid, having certain moments where God became more and more real to me. And he became more and more an actual person that I could have a relationship with rather than just, you know, a subject of going to church for. I remember being in a Baptist church and just being so amazed with the concept of like, oh my gosh, could God actually be real? Like not just a fairy tale. And uh, eventually years later, I was invited to a vacation Bible school. Just that concept just dug in even deeper of, wow, he's really real. So in that environment, just in worship and just extended time reading the Bible, I was really struck by two ideas. One, if he's actually real, then my whole life has to be a response to him. I couldn't fathom the concept that a creator of the whole universe, of the stars, of the galaxies, of everything, the concept of him being real, but not having an intentional relationship with him. So the idea of just kind of checking in, going to church, and that's it for the week, that just felt so like, man, if he's real, I can't just live that way. And the second concept was really just the concept of the cross really struck me. And that if Jesus achieves something where we can go from death to life in affirming of who he is and what he did on the cross, just the concept of how powerful that is really struck me. And so I remember just thinking, man, in my entire lifetime, if I could just lead 
one person from death to life in Jesus, then even a whole life's effort would be worth it just for the sake of that one person because of how real that is for them. So that was really a turning point for me. I was probably about 10, 11 years old at that time of kind of just a stake in the ground of, you know, I don't know, obviously what my life's going to look like, what big life decisions are going to lie ahead, but I know he's real. And I know that the power of salvation at the cross is real. And I want to commit my life to that. So that was kind of the starting place for me. Wow. And so now what do you do? So really, really from that place, you know, you could see I had made a decision, whatever it looks like, Jesus, I want to follow you. And at the core of that, I want to see people come to know you, come to know your saving power to go from death to life. So that was kind of the starting place. Then from there, I remember just becoming more aware of the realities of the world, of extreme poverty, of being at my friend's house and the news is on and seeing that there's warfare going on in the Middle East, just kind of in those next years, being more and more aware of what's happening in the world. So that kind of mixed together with a knowledge that God's real formed in me a desire really essentially for missions. Uh, But for years, really not until college, I never really knew what traditional missions was or that there's this whole rich missions history in the world. So really God was just stirring in me a desire of seeing the gospel presented in ways that practically help people who are suffering in the world and who don't know God. So I'm just going to jump in real quick and ask, Oh, go for it. You know, you mentioned your home environment spiritually, but in more of just a practical sense, um, where did you grow up and what was, um, what was that environment like? I grew up, uh, in Virginia, in Virginia beach in, uh, just total suburbs and kind of beach town mix. So it's a highly military area, really good education system, and just kind of almost the definition of the American dream suburban life. So we were, you know, middle-class family. My, uh, dad, I had started and owned a business. So, you know, we'd go to church, had great education, went into school, just generally a pretty happy family. Needs were met. There's room to dream for the future. So pretty much a definition of the American dream. My mom's side of the family are all German immigrants, you know, who worked to be at the place that they were. So yeah, that's a little bit of the milieu Mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah. So then you got this gradual exposure to some of the harder things, um, and some of the like really big needs in the world, both spiritual and otherwise. And that was sort of nudging your heart into missions. That's exactly right. Eventually I started going to a church where the gospel was preached on a regular basis and you would see people coming to this, to the altar call, committing their lives to Jesus. So more and more I'm seeing, wow, maybe, you know, maybe I don't have to just work in a job that's completely devoid of the gospel or work just in the church. Maybe there's a way to go out in the world, share the gospel, and practically meet people's needs. So at that time, I really started to form this idea of what could that look like. Again, not really knowing or being exposed to the concept of missions that much. So I went to college, studied politics to kind of just feed this understanding of what's going on in the world even more, just basic you know, problem solving. How do 
governments and NGOs help um, in situations of extreme poverty or conflict. So anyway, that's kind of my trajectory at that time. But I'm kind of interrupted while I'm going to college with a realization that, wow, there are people even on this campus that are spiritually and emotionally suffering and who don't know the gospel, who don't know that there is a God who loves them, that there's a father in heaven, who don't know that Jesus came to forgive them of their sins, to break the power of shame over their lives and to give them a greater hope, even beyond just the accomplishments of this life. So, you know, I'm kind of, I'm thinking far out of, I want to go to Africa and help people there and so forth. But God's really showing me, wow, I have peers and people that I have immediate relational influence with here as a college student. So that was kind of stirring on my heart, still not really having a grid that this could be an occupation or anything like that. But as a student in college, you know, I joined Bible studies and more and more committed my time to actual outreach to friends there. And bit by bit, we would start to see friends come to know Jesus and develop relationship, even starting as atheists, coming to Bible studies and then making the decision, okay, I want to follow Jesus. So that was, those years there were really a profound time in my life where I could see, wow, people really do want to know Jesus and not just in places where there, where there's extreme suffering or extreme poverty, but even in some of the most elite uh, academic environments in America. So really there, that led to what I do today. So today I am a full-time missionary working particularly with universities and college students in America. So I work with an organization called Circuit Riders, which is a branch of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, which is actually um, a very uh, long-established missions organization. So I work with Youth with a Mission, the Branches Circuit Riders, and we live here in California, which God has blessed me with. He took me from one coast to another. Um, but in the full 12 months of a year, I'm my husband and I were actually really only here at home in California, maybe about five months, because we mostly are traveling doing worship events, doing Bible studies, doing uh, leadership training with students all across America. And just recently, this has expanded more and more into Europe and East Africa as well. So how are you trying to share the gospel on these college campuses? So that's a great question. How do we reach these college students? What is the main goal? So for us, and as you can tell, you know, in a lot of my story that I'm sharing, for our whole team, we really are evangelists at the core. You know, we're a missions organization. So really for us, that means that when we're looking at a university campus, we're not so much thinking, you know, okay, where are all the Christians? That's not our first thought. Our first thought is, wow, how many people here don't know Jesus? How many people have not been exposed to the gospel? So on most campuses in America, you know, there are different Christian clubs and Christian organizations, but most campuses, only about four or five percent of the university population goes to any sort of Christian organization. Uh, so that means you've got about 95 percent that are not gathering or not worshiping or in Bible study, not really pursuing Jesus in an intentional way. So when you look at that, that just draws a real picture of the need on college campuses. 
for knowing the gospel. So for our team, that need is the main driving point of saying, wow, how can we reach that 95% of college campuses in America? And even there, when you get more to metropolitan areas like New York City, Boston, Philadelphia, LA, that percentage drops way lower to only about 1%. So this really paints a picture of the need in America in our generation. And of course, we know these universities are where the majority of our culture, of our future leadership and so forth are coming from. So really for us, that's our heart is how do we see the gospel shared to those who don't know him? So from there, kind of in that starting place, our team, we started by doing a lot of evangelistic outreaches. So whether it was you know, one-on-one evangelism on campuses, or we started to do bigger events that were outdoor concerts, music festivals that students would come to. They know it's a Christian event. They know it's a Christian gathering, but it's more presented in a fun way. And then through that, we're able to present the actual gospel, give an invitation for people to know more about Jesus. So that kind of is how we started several years ago. And we would do these big events. We'd see, you know, even hundreds at a time commit their lives to Jesus, get plugged in with the local discipling fellowships there. But what we realized was that, you know, for however amazing those initiatives were, they were still at the end of the day, a kind of flash of the pan moment. And it took a lot of resources, a lot of effort. And really what we would notice is when you would turn and look at the actual Christian groups that were gathering there wasn't really sometimes a lifestyle to maintain that harvest that was being reached in those moments. Mm -hmm. So we kind of went back to the drawing board, went back to prayer just to say, okay, what is a sustainable way to do this? And God really turned our eyes to those Christian groups and really the call that the ideal is that us Christians on the campus would be living in such a missional and evangelistic lifestyle that through relationship, through influence and so forth on the campus that the Christian students would be reaching, of course, the non-believers. But I can totally relate to, and a lot of us can relate to the fact that that feels scary Mm -hmm. as a student. How do I intentionally share the gospel? What does that look like? Is that even my priority while I'm here? I'm here to get an education. So uh, God really turned our uh, efforts towards more gathering and being in relationship with Christian believers on college campuses, really to challenge a perspective of I'm only here to get my degree and I'm out, but more to invite the perspective to say, wow, you know, God has called all believers to be missional. He's given us all the great commission to disciple the nations. And that doesn't just start once I have a career and feel more established in my life. That starts now as a college student. And God's placed me in the midst of a harvest now. So what we do is uh, a big part of what we do is during the spring semester, we do a big worship and evangelistic event tour. So we started years ago touring, going to about 60 different universities this past year. We went to about 300 universities across America, and we do 
primarily worship gatherings where the goal is to say, okay, on a college campus, can we at least gather the 4%, 5% of believers on the campus? And again, in the cities, it's usually smaller, about 1%. Can we at least gather us all together in a room? Can we worship Jesus together? And can we really look at the scriptural reality that God's given us a great commission even here while we're on the campus? And can we agree together to to live an evangelistic missional lifestyle here while we're on this campus? And we call these events, we call this campaign, Carry the Love. So the heart is saying, man, I want to any entitlement that I've had to my time or resources while I'm here, I'm letting go of entitlements saying that I'm just here for my own life. And I want to live like Jesus where it was constantly a generous outward focused lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I want to have a heart for the harvest that's here on campus. So we do these gatherings. We see on any given campus, a hundred, 200, 500 Christians gather. And a lot of times they'll bring their non-believing friends even. So we might have 20, 30, 40 in the room who are not believers. So it's a worship event, but we always present both a call to an evangelistic lifestyle for the Christians in the room, as well as a clear presentation of the gospel for any non-believers. So by the end of the night, uh, we have non-believers who are committing and saying, wow, I want to follow this Jesus. If this is who he is, I want to know him. Usually in that room, people are making decisions for the first time in their lives. I want to follow Jesus. And Christians are making a deeper life decision to say, I want to really be an evangelist on my campus. So, you know, um, I'll let you share more questions, but just to wrap that up, just what we've seen, the tagline of Carry the Love is it's a campaign to inspire a generation to love like Jesus. Mm. And that's really what it is and what we've seen. And really, rather than our team and coming and doing these big evangelistic efforts, we want to help inspire the leaders who are already on campuses to reach the harvest that's right there with them. So we have so many testimonies of from these worship nights, students getting so inspired, doing their own outreaches, changing the culture of their Christian groups, being more outward focused, and seeing friends come to faith through that. It sounds like a lot of, for you guys, how you see um, God working right now on college campuses is that you do see this sort of multiplication. You see some people being brought from death to life, like you were saying, and then them bringing other people into that and saying, hey guys, this is amazing. And I, I love you because God loves. And so I want to, to show you this. What have been some of your favorite moments with God? I would say I just love worship. Just as soon as I can be in an environment where it's not a, okay, what's the to-do list? Who do I need to call? What needs to happen? When I can just be in an environment where it's like, okay, I'm just here to adore him. I'm just here to focus on him. Those are just my favorite times. So it's funny because as a career, so to speak, as an occupation, we're in worship environments all the time. We do worship tours. So those environments, which I'm sure, you know, pastors, families, people who work in a church, it's similar. Those environments can sometimes feel like work. But for me, I just love always being 
at the front of the room, just hands lifted, just encountering Jesus as much as possible during those times and not disengaging because Mm -hmm. even, even if it is a worship environment that we're hosting, I just love, man, Jesus, I just want to take this time to talk with you, to meet with you during this time. Yeah. I love times of worship, even just at my own house, if I can just put worship music on and just turn off for that time and just meet with Jesus, go away in my car, park at the beach and just be with him and get away and just come into a place of adoration of Jesus. You're above it all. Jesus, I exist to worship you. I exist to love you, to receive your love. So those are really the times for me that refuel and re-inspire me. Have you had any really tough moments with God where you've just been like, God, I don't get this. Or, you know, I'm kind of like upset with you right now, you know, because this love for Jesus just kind of pours out of you, which is amazing, but it's a real relationship. Mm-hmm. And so yes. are there ever those moments where you're like, wait a second, I'm running into something about you that I can't quite get behind or I can't quite understand. Yes, absolutely. Of course. And just like you're saying, any real relationship has that and needs that, that tension and that not totally understanding and needing to go deeper and, and really, I mean, suffering, suffering is so at the core of the gospel. And when Paul first encounters Jesus, that's one of the main things I think that Jesus says to Ananias, I believe, um, that I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. And of course, that's obviously so much of Jesus on the cross. And I think a lot of times in America, we are so built on the American dream that the gospel that's preached here a lot of times is devoid of that reality of suffering that Jesus calls us to. But that he calls us to an actual fellowship of suffering with him. So I, again, I'm not a, obviously an expert in this, but I've seen in my own life and some of the my closest friends that there is these times of suffering and it's woven throughout our Christian walk where, man, I don't understand, God, why am I physically sick? Why are some of the people I care most about uh, suffering and I can't help them? God, where are you? You know, and Jesus himself said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, um, I do think there is, you know, this mystery that a lot of us, that all of us experience that we're going to have questions that maybe aren't answered this side of heaven. But, um, and I'll go into some examples of what that's been for me, but one of the founders of circuit riders, Andy bird has, um, this great, kind of perspective that he shares on that. And he shares when his own mother passed away and how hard that was for him just to wrestle with the goodness of God and questioning that and just saying, man, there are times in our lives where we're not going to understand who God is and whether or not he's good and why certain things happen. But these will be the only opportunities that we have on this side of heaven to choose faith and to choose worshiping him, even in the hardest time And when we don't even see him and to say, God, I don't see you. I'm going through a hardship. I don't understand. And I don't see your goodness in this time, but I choose and I'm going to choose to worship you in this and to give you glory, even in not understanding and not seeing you. 
And so I think those moments are times where we can give God the greatest glory, even when the emotion, you know, like all the fluffy feelings aren't there. So for me, that was really when I was 13 years old, um, my dad passed away of cancer. So Mm -hmm. this was in the time when I was first, you know, understanding more of who God was and meeting him in a personal way. And, you know, starting actually the eighth grade, one September, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and it for our whole family was just a shock because he was young, he was fit and healthy, and it just seemed to come out of nowhere, uh, this mm-hmm. diagnosis. So and what was really unique and just so shocking was that with just in months, his health deteriorated so much. Uh, and by 12 months, he was really on his deathbed. And it was actually my first day of high school, coming back from high school, getting off of the bus, uh, coming up to the house and a friend comes out and says, Hey, you should come upstairs. I come upstairs to his room and sitting by his side and just get to witness my dad taking his last breaths and passing away right there. And again, what was so especially hard about this time, I mean, you know, I'm so young, 13 years old, it's my first day of high school, but just how quickly and how suddenly this happened. It was like whiplash for our whole family. And all of a sudden, you know, it's my second day of high school and I'm now without a dad looking into, you know, what should be kind of the most exciting season of life of, wow, what am I going to do? What college am I going to go to? All of that. But I don't have a dad to help walk me through that now. Um, And again, this was at the period where I was just starting to meet and encounter God for myself. So it was, again, just like a whiplash for my whole family. What just happened? What's going on? And you can imagine for my mom, it's all the more shocking of, you know, how do I go forward now without my life partner? Um, Mm -hmm. But in the midst of all of the question, and even I had been exposed at that point, even to the concept of physical healing, and just that it's all throughout the Bible. So if God can physically heal, and if I've been praying for that for my dad these past years, then why wasn't he healed? Um, So yeah, for me as a teenager at that time, I would just say, you know, those were really obviously real questions that I had and that I struggled with, but God really just, I, the best way I can explain it is I just felt like he just covered me with peace in that time. And I was close to my dad. He was the greatest hero in my life. I looked up to him so much. So it really was, it just spun my world so much to think of, you know, I don't have this great leader in my life anymore. But in that, I didn't really go into a time of depression or anything like that, or even a deep questioning of life or even deep questioning of God, other than just God, I don't understand, you know, you're going to have to help me with this. And in that time, God just gave me a ton of peace. And the biggest thing that I could hold on to was just a realization of God, you're present with me in this. And I don't understand. And I'm afraid of how am I going to get through life? How am I going to get through high school, college? You know, God, uh, my dad's not going to be there to walk me down the aisle when I get married. I don't, you know, we all have moments in our life where it feels like all of our security has been ripped away and we just don't know what's coming up. 
And that was definitely that time of, I just feel so not secure about what my next steps are. But in it, I just felt so much that God, you're present with me. And so much of my story in that is that in the absence then of an earthly father, God really became a heavenly father for me and took care of a lot of those things where I didn't know what the future would hold, that God opened those doors, God provided for me and so forth, and really became a healing presence for my family. So Honestly, even still to this day, it's a question of, man, why did my dad pass when I was at such an early age? Um, Mm -hmm. And kind of fast forwarding to today, you know, I'm in this missions lifestyle and so forth. And we love to pray for physical healing for people and we see God heal people. But I realized a year or two ago that, wow, God, I even have unbelief in my heart, maybe not necessarily that God, you can physically heal people, but maybe unbelief that you can do it through my life because my own dad was taken by sickness. So that would be an example for me of wrestling even recently with God. Sure. I believe you heal, but I don't know about through my life. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of us can struggle with that unbelief where we say, okay, God, I know you bring breakthrough and you do all these great things in people's lives, but I don't know that you really do that through my life. And I think we all have our examples of that. Um, I remember realizing that not being away for years that I kind of had that unbelief sitting in my heart and Mm -hmm. just with my husband realizing that and just going after it in prayer of God you know, I don't understand why my dad passed at an early age. I don't understand why he wasn't healed of cancer, but I'm going to pray right now that unbelief isn't in my life uh, to keep you from being a, a healer through my hands. And I want to continue to pray for people and believe for the miracles that are so present in the Bible. I want to believe for that today. And so I remember just praying so much of God, I don't want unbelief in my heart and God really breaking that. And since then I have seen God even move through my prayers in other people's lives. I think again, just there are those times for all of us. And a lot of times we just won't know the answer, but we can make a decision. I think we have the responsibility of even through real injustice that I've walked through, how am I going to respond to God? And that's a choice that we can make in times of real pain. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that you responded, it sounds like, was to go to him and just like actually talk to him about it. Yes. I asked Yasmin later if she could give me some examples of times when she saw God heal people through her. And here's what she said. The first time was really shocking and pronounced. We were at a school in Michigan, Cornerstone University, doing a worship night. And I'm, you know, standing there worshiping. And all of a sudden, I just feel the Lord impress on my heart one, two, three different injuries in the room to pray for. And the first one was really clear. And it was um, some sort of like car crash that had caused some sort of head trauma, concussions, where someone was still suffering from the symptoms. So I'm really surprised. I write these down on my phone and then at the right time, kind of go up, share those like, Hey, you know, if anyone is in the room with any of these injuries, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe raise your hand. Someone around our team can come pray for you. Uh, so they pray. And at the end of the time, we just ask them, you know, did anyone see a significant change and person after person saw a significant change and healing 
And then at the end of the night, to my surprise, I was actually standing next to a girl during that moment in worship who had been in a car crash and had a concussion and head trauma. And so she was shocked when I called it out, raised her hand, someone was able to pray for her. And then she was healed of those symptoms. So that was kind of a kickoff for me of just faith building of like, okay, I can hear God speak. I can hear, you know, get impressions of things that he wants to do and just pray in faith to see that happen. So we were at another school, Southern Connecticut, where it was a similar story, just very pronounced. We're in worship. And again, I feel these different impressions of uh, injuries or illnesses in the room, share them, ask for people to raise their hands. Our team, we go around and pray for these people. And um, it was about seven different injuries. And the students come forward after the prayer time to say, hey, I actually got you know, healed what was in my body, healed the injury. And I want to testify of what happened. So one of those was a girl having a scoliosis and back injury for the past six years. And she said that when our team prayed for her, she was healed on the spot. She could move in ways she couldn't move before where she used to have pain. A knee injury was healed in that moment. And even one girl who had had uh, endometriosis said that she felt fire all through that area as we prayed for her and um, felt the pain and the symptoms leave. So just phenomenal. Another last one, this is one of my favorite stories, is we were at a university in Michigan as well, uh, Calvin. And again, similar story. You know, I go up, I share a few different things. And one of the impressions that I had was that someone was in the room who had actually had surgery on their knee And that God wanted to fully heal, you know, the pain that they were still dealing with and the recovery and all of that. And uh, what's funny about this story is we did the same process, have people raise their hands, people go around and heal. And, you know, when you have 200, 300 people in a room, you can't quite see like, okay, what all were the effects? So what we would do usually is say, okay, can you wave your hand at us? if you experience a significant change and we'll see if you can come up here, share the testimony. So a few people do, but not many at that night. So you're kind of like, okay, I just need to believe in faith, you know, that God did what he wanted. So then at the end of the night, we get a text from a friend of ours who said, Hey, are you guys at, uh, doing a worship night at Calvin tonight? We say yes. And she says, my boyfriend was in the room and he said that you called out about this knee injury and surgery for it and all of that. Well, that was him. And someone came up to him and prayed for him when he raised his hand and he felt just God heal everything. He felt fire on his knee and then he had to go to a meeting. So he had to leave, but he called me like with tears in his eyes, crying, telling me that he had just experienced God heal his knee. Um, so that was amazing and just such a sign of even if we don't see the full effect in the moment, at the end of the day, the results are in God's hand. And what I really learned in all of this process is really our quote unquote responsibility and invitation is just to position our hearts in faith and that the result isn't our responsibility. Our responsibility is just being in faith, being in partnership with God, and we might see the results, we might not. But either way, God moves, he heals, and he's active today. So uh, in our last few minutes here, I just want to sort of look forward. You know, we touched on it very briefly that, um, you know, you're seeing some new exciting things with circuit riders. You know, what's coming up? What do you feel like God is doing like right now? Or um, what are you looking ahead for him to do? 
Yes, definitely. Basically, with our group with circuit riders, we function. Uh, it's really a goal to not be extremely centralized so that there is an environment where people in their own relationship with God can be led and kind of expand the, the missions field. So all of that to say that for my husband and I, we still do have those dreams of, wow, I'd love to be in another country that maybe hasn't had as much opportunity to hear the gospel or maybe is struggling really more with poverty or bigger, you know, real life needs, um, of not having development, not having security and so forth. We'd love to be in areas like that and bring the gospel and an awareness of Jesus, uh, for him to meet those needs. So for us, we really, honestly, in a lot of ways, kind of the sky's the limit in that sense of really just whatever God would say. And that has been a value of our lives of God. We don't want to presume, um, where you're calling us to, and we want to have hands open. So yes, you know, if we initially saw ourselves to be missionaries to Africa, but you're calling us to the universities of America, we're willing to be there. And if you change that in another season of our lives, we're excited to go there as well. So Really, a year ago, we really felt that God kept bringing up for us Africa again. And even within the upcoming 12 months to be present. But again, there, you know, Africa is so big. What does that look like? There's lots of countries, lots of places in Africa. And so we really just kept bringing it to prayer like, okay, God, clarify what does that look like? And um, one of our friends had a great contact friendship in Kenya to just get connected with and kind of see what would unfold for there. And for us in it all, for Michael and I, and for our team here, we really feel called to young people, of course, in particular. So university age, reaching that demographic. So it was kind of a process for us of, okay, does this friend in Kenya know people in universities? And basically, long story short, God just opened up so many relationships with university students in Kenya. And of course, you know, Kenya is a, actually a pretty Christian nation. It's really similar to America. There's been a lot of exposure to the gospel, but you have a lot of young people there who have opportunities to influence and really be missionaries to so many surrounding areas that are in a lot of need and haven't really heard the gospel. So we've done an initial gathering a few months ago with about 100 Kenyan university students from 20 different universities across Kenya, um, which really the gathering was more about empowering them and saying, hey, you're a communicator of the gospel, you're a leader, you're a missionary, and setting an environment for them to have encounters with God to say, okay, God, I give you my yes for whatever you've called me to. So we've had that initial gathering and now we're dreaming about doing even bigger, more stadium events for young people in East Africa um, to be missionaries really to their own region and across the world. So that's really just kind of a snapshot of what we feel God has in coming years is um, really empowering young people, not just in America, but all across the world in some of the poorest nations and in some of the richest to say, all of us as believers have a call to be the light of the world and have a call to go and to share the gospel, whether it's as a traditional missionary lifestyle or as business people, as people in fashion and art and science and education. Um, so really to see a missions movement 
of young people out of all of the nations. That's really Michael's and my heart. We do feel called eventually to be more and more present in Africa, but always with that sort of goal to empower young people to live that lifestyle. So who knows, we might be a little bit in America and Africa at the same time. Um, We're already planning our next events in East Africa right now. So that's really the goal for us is a global missions movement. You know, we've seen evangelistic campaigns all across the world. And we want to see more of that. But we also, when you go back to Matthew 9, Jesus says, he's looking over the harvest and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. And that really is our heart. Yes, to be missionaries and evangelists, but also to be ones who are helping to send another generation of laborers as well. So exciting. (laughs) So fun. So really quickly, the last question that I have for you is, has anything surprised you about God? Hmm. That is a great question. You know, I, I always love to say that God is infinite. So we should always be discovering something new about God. So, and that's a little bit of my personal experiences. I feel like I'm kind of always surprised by something new or even some of the most basic things that we know in the Bible about the nature of God that sometimes they hit us in a fresh revelation in a new way, even as basic as, wow, God loves me. And I've known that for years, but today I'm, in ex- I'm experiencing that love in a totally new way. Something that surprised me recently really is just God's grace and God's mercy. And I, I tend to just be a more black and white person. So I tend to be more, you know, my dad, he was a military guy. I grew up in more of a military family. My sister was in the army as well. So I tend to be more like, Hey, here's the rules. Here's how it goes. And even applying that thinking towards myself, like either you're on this side or you're on that, but I've just seen that God really in areas where we've missed the bar and where we haven't lived up to God's standards or even our own standards for ourselves. just how much of a loving father God is and how gracious and merciful he is. It says, of course, his mercies are new every morning, that in areas of failure, of areas of not um, hitting the mark, God just comes in and says, I love you. And, you know, I love first John. Um, I think it's one nine where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive, uh, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So really in that place, whether it's, man, I've had a grumpy attitude or whatever, just to say, man, God, if I bring my mistakes to you, you are always, it's your nature to be faithful, to forgive me. And I'm going to mess up on a regular basis. I'm not going to hit the mark on a regular basis. But as long as I'm honest with you, as long as I'm willing to bring that mistake and failure to you, you are faithful to forgive me. And you're even, you have power and a a will to then cleanse me and free me of that unrighteousness. So if I'm struggling with 
anger, if I'm struggling with depression and I bring that to you, not only are you going to forgive me, but you are able and want to even free me of that as well. So really, I've just been surprised that God's always in a good mood and he really just always has a smile towards us and is always quick to forgive us and quick to give us a second chance and quick to help us grow. Even if we feel like we've done all the growing we can do, he's, you know, quick to help us show us like, Oh, actually you do need to grow in this area, but I still love you. And I'm going to help you do that. Really just, I think even when we can be hard on ourselves, God is there smiling, loving us and helping us through it and not upset at us. It says in Psalms that he is not quick to be angered and he's abounding in love. You know, sometimes we can just hear those scriptures and just kind of be used to it, but realizing in personal experience, wow, God, you really are so forgiving and so loving at the end of the day. And you're always in a good mood towards me. And I think that's a lot of the um, quote unquote surprise that our generation needs. I think we can see God as so judgmental and so harsh, but we just need to that real encounter of, wow, his mercies are new every day and his love really is real towards me. That wraps up our interview with Yasmin. We didn't keep a nice little thank you for the interview on here because at the end of this interview, I just chatted with her about my bad attitude that day. So we spared you that bit. But if you want more information on Yasmin or to see regular updates on Circuit Riders, you can go to her website at michaelandyasmin.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-N-D-Y-A-S-M-I-N.com or to the Circuit Riders website at crmovement.com. We'll also put those links up on our website on the episodes page. Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this, Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on Submit a Story. God is doing things all over in all of his people, and we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at GodSeeing or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced in the studios at Lancaster Bible College. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Our engineer is George Haynes. And our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God. <laughs> <laughs>